Good afternoon, Friday afternoon, KPFK on your very own radio at 90.7 FM all over Southern California, out of Santa Barbara County, 98.7 FM, what else is there but FM radio, eh? And uh, what's the rest? Streaming for the world at kpfk.org, of course, on the internet for everybody to listen to. It blows my mind, you know, we have this... this, I don't even know what my web guy calls it, a uh, some sort of monitor that we put on the website that uh, gives you all kinds of information about uh, who's visiting your website. And we're getting hits from all over the world. It's, it's just amazing, you know, see Singapore and Hong Kong and New Zealand and uh, all over Europe and Africa and Asia and South America, people listening to KPFK. It's just too cool. Too cool. I never anticipated any of this, and it's very exciting. It is the information age, and we're happy to be here, however you happen to be listening to us, live radio, or uh, the internet, or uh, maybe a podcast, you time shifters there in the crowd. Got a great show for you today. Not an easy one to do, I don't think. This always rattles my brain, but I'm going to roll up my sleeves and do the best I can to make a presentation to you about a form of mind control. Yeah, a form of mind control that is rarely ever considered as such, anyway. This has been a pet peeve of mine since I first began doing radio shows long, long ago. And it's the the mind control that comes with the studied use of false dichotomies. Now, I'm going to do a little uh, commentary on this today, and then you will be the featured guest, if you wish, at about uh, the halfway point of the program, about uh, 25 minutes from now, we'll go to the telephones and give you an opportunity to jump into the fray here and, and give me some response, some comments and questions about the way in which uh, you see this used in your life. Sometimes inadvertently, for dichotomous thinking is largely a byproduct of high stress and anxiety. People tend to go polar, so to speak. You know, all black, all white, either or, everything or nothing kinds of of thinking. Whenever we're stressed or anxious or nervous. Uh, That's why um, 
You can see the polarity in relationships when there is disagreement in romantic relationships, loving relationships, one or the other or both, tend as a result of that anxiety to go polar. And that means you miss the third way, as the Buddhist would call it, the middle path, uh, or the math student would say, oh, you mean all the permutations and combinations. Yeah, uh, most of us do not have access to that. And then when there are people who studied this, and believe me, um, don't give Bush credit for it, but there is an Office of Perception Management, a rather Orwellian title, uh, in the executive office, um, some of you may know this as NLP or neurolinguistic programming uh, or linguistics, the use of language and the way words impact your brain and the way they use it to control the debate. So I want to talk a little about this as a hazard, as something that you want to watch out for. I'm not going to, I'm not telling you this so that you can use it to control other people's minds, but so that you can avoid being controlled. And uh, see the red flag when it comes up, whether it's love it or leave it. Remember that in the 60s? Love it or leave it. If you're, if you're not on board with Dick Nixon, then you must be some pinko. Go to Moscow, you anti-war hippie. And the current version of that, of course, is stay the course or cut and run. No permutations, no combinations. And uh, it just comes up time and time again. So that's our topic today. Again, I'm going to comment on it in depth, and then we'll go to the phone. So if this intrigues you already, stick around and see what other KPFK InterVision listeners have to say about it. I guess this all starts for me, really, in the early days of uh, my talk show career, when I would see that uh, uh, callers to the different radio programs that I would do would often fall into the trap of everything or nothing either or black and white thinking, unconsciously without realizing it. And the more freaked out they got about, I don't know, the argument or maybe just being on the radio, the uh, more likely they were to lose the third choice, the fourth alternative, the fifth option, the sixth way of looking at things, and and uh, do what their parents did and their parents before them, and again, most of humanity. You see what... The false dichotomy is really based on is an autonomic or automatic function, stimulus response, knee-jerk reaction. It's called fight or flight. And so the idea is when you're faced with some sort of danger, real or imagined, uh, we, we tend to, uh, you know, shoot first and ask questions later, I guess. We tend to either want to fight and run, and we, we don't want to sit down and talk. You can see resistance this week. Now that the uh, the bipartisan uh, commission has come out with its report and suggesting that the United States government talk to Syria and even Iran and uh, consider that maybe we've not been very even-handed in our policies with Israel and should talk to the Palestinians and Hezbollah and Hamas and so on. And, oh, no, we don't talk to our enemies. After all, they're not human beings. They don't love their children. They don't want the things that we do. They are evil, the evildoers. And again, a lot of this is just natural. It's automatic, autonomic. It just comes out of high anxiety. 
But I'm saying that it's been studied, and it's being used against us as a form of mind control. And uh, so I first began to notice it as this autonomic uh, response, this uh, rhetorical device that people, when you disagree with them, they just go polar. They swing to the opposite end, and they see you as being opposite from their point of view. And it was so frustrating to me, and I didn't know what to call it. I hadn't studied enough philosophy or enough psychology, and so I referred to it as dualism. And then I called it either-or thinking. If you're a listener that goes back to the 70s, uh, when I first came to this city, maybe you remember some of our late-night discussions about those either-or thinkers and and the problem with this kind of, uh, at that time I called it dualism. Then I began to see that philosophers have been hip to this. Women and men have understood the trap of either-or thinking, of false dichotomies. And again, it's real seductive. Uh, you know, there's there's essentially, I guess, three kinds of tests in school. One would be the essay or the short answer where you write it out, sort of open-ended and pretty cool. Another is the multiple choice. But uh, every once in a while you'd have a class where they'd ask as some kind of quiz or test true or false questions. Attorneys do this often when they litigate, you know. They say, that's a yes or no question. And the problem is that it denies neither and both. It denies the relative nature of reality for any uh, philosopher, any neophyte student of philosophy comes to understand pretty quickly that there are no absolutes. Now, that threatens a lot of people. Again, the mind control people that want to control your thinking wants you to believe that there are absolutes. The Christian right, for example, it's absolutely wrong to name it. How about gay bashing? Being gay is wrong. It's unnatural. They like to call it sodomy. And uh, it's got nothing to do with uh, love. And it's all very repressed. So all these, you know, you see... Uh, Mark Foley and Ted Haggart and uh, these other uh, repressed homosexuals are the ones that, uh, in some cases, uh, because of their self-loathing, I guess, they just project that out into the world. And a lot of gay bashing, I, I don't know how much, but some <laughs> relative, uh, relatively speaking, some percentage of gay bashing, certainly is uh, the result of self-loathing of people that just cannot accept uh, their particular orientation. I don't know anybody who got beyond the sixth grade who believes anymore that being gay is a choice. And yet we still hear that from uh, the right wing. So they want you to believe in absolutes. Okay, Jesus is God, and that's an absolute. And, uh, well, he didn't, by the way, Jesus didn't really mean that thing about the poor uh, what Jesus is really about is uh, you driving a Rolls Royce, and so on and so forth. So we often hear ourselves accused of relativism. Don't be a relativist. And yet Einstein pretty much proved that all things are relative, had a couple of theories of relativity. And it's not just math and science that things are relative. Consider that everything is relatively true, or true to some degree. And that what we want to watch out for are the absolutes. And that's that's the problem that we get into. When you start thinking in terms of absolutely right or absolutely wrong, 
we get into stay the course or love it or leave it, that kind of nonsense. And, and again, I think it's nothing short of mind control. There's a wonderful book I'd like to recommend if you've yet to read it. It's been out a long time. It came out shortly, it must have been the early 50s, I guess. Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Have you read it? Uh, Viktor Frankl was a survivor of the Nazi concentration camps in World War II. And in this uh, classic, Man's Search for Meaning. Did I say Man's Search for Survival? I may have misspoken. Man's Search for Meaning. Although survival works there, doesn't it? He talks about how so many people died in those concentration camps. I mean, beyond being killed and gassed and murdered, just died for lack of hope. We're not able to cope with the the degradation, with the starvation, with the uh, freezing temperatures, the you know all of the all of the cruelties that were heaped upon those people. But there were a few that he saw that somehow maintained their dignity, their kindness, their generosity, even their optimism uh, through the whole ordeal. And he concludes in this classic book, Man's Search for Meaning, that this is something that nobody can take away from human beings, their right to decide for themselves. Nobody can steal from you your ability to think for yourself, to decide what's right or wrong, what's good or bad, and the relative nature of these ideal concepts. Something can be relatively true, and again, is much more likely to be relatively true, that is true to a certain degree, than absolutely true, save that for the true or false questions in kindergarten and grade school, right? But when these mind control people in the federal government, and the Democrats do this, but they're way behind in sophistication. The the Republicans, the neocons, they've really studied this. Sean Hannity and Bill O'Reilly and Rush Limbaugh, these guys have all studied NLP. There's no question about it. And how to manipulate language. And if you disagree with them, you've sensed it, but maybe you really weren't sure how they did it. Well, I'm going to take issue with Viktor Frankl. God bless him. And he's no longer with us, of course. But uh, I think that that can be taken from us, our ability to think for ourselves, to reason, to be reasonable, that to understand things as relatively true and relatively false, or right and wrong as a matter of degree, or depending upon your particular point of view, especially in a democratic and ideally uh, a pluralistic society, we have to look at the relative nature of good guys and bad guys. When we don't, what we end up with is uh, God's on our side, as in the case of war. Or now, America, well, we've taken over Iraq, although you could argue with <laughs> whether we've taken it over. Uh, I mean, we are certainly an occupying force, and... Uh, uh, we pretty much control areas of Baghdad, the green zone for sure. And uh, Abu Ghraib, that's my point, we, we, we have control of the prison. So torture still goes on in Abu Ghraib, you see. There was torture there under Saddam, and there's torture now. But you see, the difference is we do good torture. 
This is the problem with false dichotomies, black and white thinking, and the mind control that I'm arguing flows from it and its intentional use to take away your right to think for yourself. We are the good torturers. It's okay if America waterboards because we're the good guys. It's okay if we kill civilians. Oops, sorry, didn't mean to. Well, you know, an unfortunate uh, happenstance of war, collateral damage. Sorry, you 10,000, you 100,000, you 700,000 people we've slaughtered in Iraq. Didn't really mean to. This is where the insanity of this whole situation comes from. The idea that some bullets are good bullets and some bullets are bad bullets and there are good bombs and bad bombs. And uh, it has nothing really to do with the intention. It's when you explode people and blow them up because God is on your side, whether you want the oil or whether you just want the war bucks or whether you want uh, forward bases in the Middle East, or or whether you just want Starbucks and McDonald's and Kentucky Fried Chicken on every corner in Baghdad, whatever the motive, I think if you go, and that's what this program is largely about, is philosophy, if you go to the roots, if you get radical, and that's what the word radical really means, to the roots, so much of what's wrong in the world is this false dichotomy, this either-or thinking, all black or all white, everything or nothing. You're either a good guy or a bad guy. You can't be both. Well, of course you can. Good people do bad things. Bad people are have some redeeming qualities. But you see, it's a challenge. Then you really do have to think for yourself, and so many of us don't want to think for ourselves. This is why AM radio has been taken over by right-wing, hateful, nasty talk show people, because they've reduced the debate to everything or nothing, to right or wrong, to love it or leave it, stay the course or cut and run, you're on my side or their side. Oh, here's a classic. I'll give you some examples. And this is still talked about. It happened six or eight months ago on television. Bill O'Reilly, one of the top-rated guys on the Fox propaganda machine, is on the David Letterman show. And he's he's ready for bear. He's He's gone to his NLP class. He's He's got his talking points from the Office of Perception Management, and he's ready to handle David Letterman. Okay? And so here's the question. Again, I think this was six or eight months ago. Here's the question that O'Reilly poses to Letterman. Do you want us to win in Iraq? Now, how can he answer that? Uh, David was confused, caught off guard. He doesn't study NLP. He's not interested in manipulating people. Oh, and by the way, there's a huge body of NLP that's done its integrity in, you know, where, where, where you're taught to be in your integrity, to influence or persuade in your integrity. But of course, you can also use these same skills outside of your integrity, far outside of your integrity. So immediately I'm thinking, well, hell, this is just like the example when I was in college in journalism, and they brought up what at that time, we called the loaded question, which was, Mr. Mayor, Mr. Mayor, are you still beating your wife? 
And of course, if he says yes, well, then he's a wife beater. If he says no, well, that means he stopped beating his wife. But he's still a wife beater. And that's what we face in America. In advertising, in corporate PR, and in politics is a form of mind control where nothing is relative. Nothing is a matter of degree. There are no combinations or permutations. There's just all black or all white. What did Bush say? You're either with us or you're against us. Okay? That there are the good guys and the evildoers. I mean, we turned on France because we turned on Germany. We turned on our European allies, our NATO allies. We turned against them. Because Bush said, you're either with us or against us. Right now, the debate in Washington, should we talk to the enemy? Because after all, they're not really human beings, you know. They're evildoers. Should we talk to them? And the far right says, no, you don't talk to the enemy. Well, if you don't talk to the enemy, then you're going to stay the course, right? You're going to continue this wrong-headed, absolutely incompetent, and and largely insane policy of the Bush administration. By the way, uh, often I do these commentaries on the evening news, and I want to do a commentary tonight on the nervous breakdown of Bush 41, George H.W. Bush. I'm going to talk about that tonight, so you may want to tune in about 6.20 or 6.25, somewhere in there, the evening news. Hell, tune in at 6 and listen to the whole news block. But I want to talk more about that because it, the Bush dynasty, the Bush crime family is all falling apart. But that's a little aside. So O'Reilly says to Letterman, so you want to win this thing or not? Well, if Letterman says yes, then he supports Bush. Stay the courts. If he says no, now he's a terrorist, don't you see? So, so you want America to lose. Forget that we don't know what winning is. We sure know what loss looks like in losing. It's a bunch of dead guys, women and men, with arms blown off and legs blown off. We know what losing looks like, but we have no clear vision of what winning means, of what victory means. If we have to kill everybody in Iraq that disagrees with us, we're going to just have to nuke the place. Because we started a civil war that really, is, I hate to say this out loud, I hate to give this voice, but the truth of the matter is we're on the verge of this thing spreading throughout the whole Middle East. And I know there are certain right-wingers that think this is great, because that's how we know Jesus is coming back. <laughs> we need to push the Middle East into a global conflagration, and then Jesus can come home. Boy, that's not my read of Revelation, but I know that's part of it. So we're in a big mess. And yet, uh, here's poor David Letterman. Now, I thought he handled it pretty well. He just refused to answer, and O'Reilly kept pushing him. And uh, Letterman's response was, well, I I can't answer because I'm a thoughtful person. You see, well, that was pretty good. I thought that was pretty good for not really being prepared for this kind of, of, uh, of mind control. But it's in a, a question that's impossible to answer. It's a loaded question because it suggests, again, that it's 
appropriate and and good and true and right to have this kind of either-or thinking, these false dichotomies, that it's always everything or nothing. And, uh, again, I think it really is a form of mind control, and I really want to know about your frustration in dealing with it in your life, whether it's people in your life that tend to bit-flip and go either-or on you, or whether it's the news, or, you know, politics and uh, uh, advertising, same thing. You've got this uh, emphasis. This is the way you are controlled. It's part of the mechanism. If I say it even more simply, maybe you can relate to it even better, which is those who try to control you are always going to use some aspect of fear. Fear is how you are controlled. Okay, Love sets you free, so fear is the way in which you're controlled. Further, you have a vicious cycle because part of the insidious uh, 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 repercussions and implications of either or thinking, all black and all white, everything or nothing, is that it includes the concept then that if things are not relative, then all differences are opposites. Do you get that? And if all differences are opposites, then anybody who disagrees with you, no matter to what degree, it might be hardly like you you agree on 98% of things, but here's this little 2% area where you disagree, and then, bam, you go polar on that. And if everything that's different, if everyone who disagrees with you is in opposition to you, if every thought that doesn't strike you quite right, or every feeling that doesn't just fit hand in glove with you, you see as being in opposition to you, that's pretty scary. That's pretty threatening. Now you have even more stress, and you're even more likely to see things as fight or flight, all good or all bad, winners and losers, love it or leave it, okay, dead or alive, you're either with us or against us, mind control on a very high order. Lives are wasted. Whole lives are wasted. People can live their whole life. Maybe you've got parents that do this. Maybe this is insight into why you never got along with dad or mom. Because as soon as they get nervous or anxious, bam, they go polar on you. And they're right and you're wrong. And there's no middle ground. There's nothing in between. And usually no format for getting heard or understood. Because... It's not discussed. It's not taught. There's very little understanding of it. And again, philosophy is full of admonitions. Don't go here. Don't stay off the poles. It's sort of, if you think of a football field, it's sort of like trying to find uh, um, some sort of uh, adventure in the end zones. You know, end zones are where you go when you score, but the playing field is here in the middle. That's the playing field. That's where truth is always found. Never in... An extreme. There are no extremes. There is no, in the swing of the pendulum, there is no 100 0, and on the other swing, 0 100. It's 50 50 in the middle, and then, you know, 60 40, 70 30, 80 20, 90 10, 99 1, but then it begins to swing back the other way. There's no reality out there. The end zone is out of bounds. 
absolutes do not exist. Nothing is all right or all wrong, except arguably spiritual things, which are still merit some discussion and some debate. God is, in philosophy, referred to as the absolute. God is a word religious people use. The absolute is often used in philosophy for the totality of things. The absolute. But down here in form, in physical dense. Don't you see this in the Tao sign also, that beautiful symbol of the, of the sine wave, one side being all black with just a little dot of white. The other side being what would seem to be the opposite, all white, except there's just a little dot of black. And in the wisdom of the Tao, there are no absolutes down here. And then they put in an emotion, they spin the darn thing on top of that, and it's all circumscribed by a circle representing the ultimate unity of things. This is a program intervision on philosophy, on spirituality and philosophy, the roots of our problems. And gosh, this is pretty basic. This is about as radical, as deeply rooted as we can go into the conflicts that humanity puts itself through in loving relationships, in war, and in everything in between. This need to be right. This need not to be wrong. This this ignorance of the middle. The Buddhist calls it the third way. Sometimes it's referred to as the middle way or the mystic's path. But it's not the 50-yard line. It's everything that is not the extreme. And let me finally say this, because this is where it gets really complicated. And, and I'm sorry, but I just want to th- you know, throw all of this against the wall. And there's so much more, but we'll see what sticks, as they say. You say, well, in the good or bad, in the right or wrong, let's just take uh, war and peace or truth. Uh, Where do we find that? Where do we find love in this? Well, it's in the middle. Love is not an extreme. And truth, it's in the middle. It's never found in the I'm right and you're wrong. There is no truth there and there is no love there. It's always in the middle. Might not be the 50-yard line. One person might have more good points than the other person. Um, and, and the model itself is so limited. Don't you feel the frustration even of left-wing and right-wing politics? And the lefts are the liberals, and the rights are the conservative, and the poor libertarian doesn't know where the hell he is. And someone like me who believes in small government but social justice is a fiscal conservative but a social progressive part anarchist, part libertarian, and uh, (laughs) just part leave me the hell alone. And we don't fit into the stupid model of Republicans and Democrats and conservatives and liberals. And the neocons have pushed the whole scale so far to the right that the moderates are now liberals. And people say, where are the moderates? Well, the right wing's been calling them liberals for so long that we don't have any moderates anymore. This is the madness I'd love to talk to you about. And also the vicious cycle that uh, if, as you understand this concept, then uh, if everything that is different is opposite, then that's a pretty scary worldview. All right? That's pretty frightening. And that's just going to compound the issue. Because, again, ultimately, false dichotomies, black and white thinking, everything or nothing, 
uh, is really a function of stress. It's fight or flight response. Okay. Love to know what you think. We're going to take a short break. Jump in. I, I'm telling you, this is so widespread, so inclusive, so all-encompassing that it boggles the mind to deal with it. And yet, I've tried to give you some real-world examples here, and if you just jump in with some questions, we don't have to have the answers. We have to begin to question, because if they can take our mind, they can rob our soul. Okay, That's happened so quickly. America, say goodbye to the First Amendment. Here we are down here on the lefty end of the radio. We're about all that's left. They could kick in the doors any time. They already have. KPFK's had the doors kicked in by the LAPD in the past, had our files, uh, uh, what's the word, rifled. It could happen again. The Fourth Amendment, probable cause, search and seizure, habeas corpus, gone. Perpetual war, the global war on terror, perpetual war, is that what you want for your children, your grandchildren? One trillion dollars wasted in Iraq a debt owned now by the Chinese, 75% of it foreign nations owning the debt. Is that what you want? To be the nation that tortures, but we're the good torturers. We're not the bad torturers. We only torture bad people. Of course, there's no due process, so we don't really know that they're bad people, but we'll just torture them uh, anyway. Okay. What do you think? 818-985-5735. Love to get some calls from you. We're obviously live, and uh, see if we can hash this out a little bit, either on a global scale, political scale, a government advertising, or in your personal life and affairs. The mind control of false dichotomies. Bifurcation, it's sometimes called. A good place to begin understanding, to divide things in two. But just because you've divided something into two doesn't mean that they're a mutually exclusive two. All right? 818-985-5735. Brooks is our producer. You'll talk to her, and we'll go to your phone calls after this short break. Michael Benner on Intervision. This, my friends, is KPFK. what I'm talking about. Dazed and confused. Who wants you to be dazed? <laughs> Who wants you to be dazed and confused? We have to get smart. We have to account for and anticipate the use of these kinds of false dichotomies and loaded questions. Are you still beating your wife? Or O'Reilly or, or, or to Letterman. And it was like a talking point. You saw it ripple out. To all the bobbleheads, you know, Joe Scarborough and Sean Hannity. Do you want to win the war or not? I mean, my God, for four or five days, that was all you could hear. You want us to win the war or not? I think the best thing to do is refuse to answer. Say, that's a false dichotomy. There is a middle way. There is a third alternative and a fourth option and a, and a fifth permutation. And just refuse to participate. Because it's especially insidious when people can rehearse it and, you know, come from a nice, calm, and relaxed place knowing that they're manipulating you. 
most of you probably are experiencing this in your friendships and and uh, your uh, romantic relationships. It's not funny, you know, the people we love the most. And often it's just one little thing, and it's like you've forgotten that we agree on 98% of stuff. Now we're just going to have World War Three over the 2% as if there's nothing else. And it goes back to that, that's that lizard brain. It's that, what do they call it, the limbic brain, you know. Suddenly you're a dinosaur. And that's what Bush and these guys want. They not only act like dinosaurs and think like dinosaurs, they've studied in this Office of Perception Management and the dark use of NLP. This used to be part of the human potential movement. I don't know who in the movement human potential movement or personal development or the quasi, it was even a quasi-spiritual thing for a while, NLP, went to the dark side and took it to these jerks. But they're using it, man, they're using it on a real high order. Do you still beat your wife? Stay the course or cut and run. And again, it goes, I remember in the 60s, it was, as I said earlier in the show, uh, love it or leave it. It's dead or alive. Everything or nothing. It drives me crazy to live in a world full of either or thinkers. And there is no creativity and there is no passion and there is no love, truth, understanding, and wisdom are always in the middle, never on the poles. And whether you agree or disagree or come down in the middle, <laughs> let's hear from you. 818 985. Five seven three five. Who do we start with? Malcolm, you're on KPFK. Malcolm with Michael Benner. Hey. Hi, Michael. How are you? I'm better and better. Thanks. How about you? I'm doing well, man. Thanks for a great show again. Thank you. Hey, um, I had a question. Uh, maybe you can make a comment. Uh, if need be, I'll take my uh, answer off the air. Um, you know, you were talking about uh, these uh, these cognitive stances of right and wrong, the the bifurcation. Right. But I'm wondering if it's not more insidious and more deep than that. Um, perhaps you can comment on uh, emotional splitting a little bit more, because this happens, I think, more on an unconscious level. And uh, rather than it being something that could be simply, you know, dismissed or, or, or worked beyond in our thinking, I believe it goes a little bit more deep, um, it's a little bit more organic than that, because I think a lot of people who accept these dichotomies may have what we call an emotional developmental arrest and stuck in the lizard mind, as you say, the, yeah. the emotional bifurcation. Yeah. I think one way of – don't go away. Stay with me if you can. Sure. And you'll drive safely, right? Cause you're Absolutely. The, I'm pulling over. Oh, okay, cool. Let's stay with this. I think um, one way of talking about it is substituting a response for a reaction. Oh, I like that. Learning to substitute an even-tempered, well-reasoned response mm -hmm. for that knee-jerk reaction. Because, mm -hmm. again, the reaction is always just simply a reaction, fight right. or flight, right? So how do we do that? How do we get conscious? How do we remember that we have choices? And one of the things I offer my students and my clients is a little hierarchy of choices, starting with, and this is the big one, I have choices. Mm -hmm. And that's what Letterman did. He didn't know exactly what to do. He wasn't prepared for it. Right. He's used to interviewing movie stars and not being trapped in this way. But at least he knew enough not to say anything 
until he found a way to say, I have choices. And the way he said it was, I can't answer it, Bill, because I'm a thoughtful person. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Which I think for Letterman was pretty darn good. So number two is there are always more choices than are immediately apparent. Mm -hmm. That'll slow you down. You see, that'll get you back into the cortex, into the higher, the cerebral cortex, the higher brain functioning of um, reasoning and um, well, creative that's what I'm thought. That, that's what I'm asking, because reasoning is dichotomous. That's the nature of reasoning. Well, on the surface, yes. On the surface, it is. Well, that's where that, you begin. But that's all. That's the only. That's the apparatus. That's the functional apparatus of cognition. Is is bifurcation. What about going beyond that? The third way. The third way. I mean, again, even at the DMV, you get uh, not just true and false, but you get multiple choice. And then they trick you and they say, well, some of these choices are more correct than others. Remember that from (laughs) school. The DMV does that too. We want the best right answer. Well. How come as soon as we walk out the door, there is no best right answer and another right. answer that's right but not as good as the best? You walk out the door and you're back into a true or false world of the neocons and the corporations and those of us, as you've indicated, who are just wound tighter than snare drums from living in this world. So I say, remember that you have choices. One, I have choices. Two, there are always more choices than are immediately apparent. Three, the choices are in the area of perception and response. I can't control what's done to me, but I can control how I look at it and how I respond. These are the areas, perception and response. It's not stimulus reaction. It's stimulus perception, conscious response. If if it's stimulus reaction, then you're just the lizard. I got it. That swallows the fly before you realize you even stuck your tongue out to get it. Okay. And that's yeah, that's what I was talking about in terms of the emotional response. It, it's 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 underneath the cognition, so it happens so rapidly. We don't have time sometimes to you know formulate even the question: What are my choices? Right, and we have to learn to do that if we want our, to be responsible for our lives right. and make a contribution to the planet, being a fit place for spiritual beings. That's that's one way of looking at our job. We're trying to make a a unredeemed planet suitable for occupation by spiritual beings. (laughs) I like that. All right. And so if I could add a fourth, by the way, it would be, um, and the choices that I seek in these two areas, perception and response, should be not only for my benefit, but for the greater good of all concerned, at least as I perceive it to be. So I have choices, number one. There are always more choices than are immediately available. So chill, reflect introspect, contemplate. Three, my choices are in the area of perspective or perception, point of view, how I look at things, attitude, and what I do with it. Life is less about what happens to us than about what we do with it. And fourth, the answers I'm looking for should go beyond a personal benefit to the greater good of all concerned. Nice little four steps, but not too many people interested in doing that. Yeah, Try it out. Thank you. Sounds like you're there. I appreciate the uh, phone call. All right, man. And be careful on that freeway. Okay, be well. All right, thank you. Bye-bye. That's what we're talking about today. Again, I think Malcolm makes a good point. Where do you begin to understand anything but 
the attempt to bifurcate it, to divide it into two, to find the poles, as if everything is a sporting contest, team sports, you know. And uh, the problem is that that becomes dichotomous. Where bifurcation becomes the dichotomy is where those divisions become mutually exclusive with no overlap and no relationship. And again, now you got a football field with end zones but no playing field. That's not the game I want to play. Let's go to Santa Monica and Maria. You're on KPFK. It's Intervision with Michael Benner. Hi, Maria. Hi, Michael. Nice to talk to you. Thanks for calling. Speak up as you can. We'll crank oh, okay. it up and listen. Okay. Is that better? Yes, it is. Thanks. Um, I'm an educator, and um, I am really glad you bring up this, this issue of bifurcation because I teach basic literacy, and I see the problem as one of education and a lack of uh, uh people's awareness of how we use rhetoric and language in general. And um, we've gotten away from, you know, um, educating people to simply just training them to use language in very functional ways. You know, what do you think about that perspective? Yeah, training instead of education, I like that. My friend uh, and uh, colleague for many years, Steve Snyder, has always had... uh, a distinction that I thought was good. He said, you know, school comes from a word, ishkin, that means to contain, like a school of fish. Right. You know, they, there's no individuality. If one moves, you know, they all move in the same direction at the same time to the same degree. And your word training is a lot like school and to contain. But education, Steve would point out, uh, and I've heard him do this countless times, I think it's just so good, means uh, from educare, to bring forth, to bring out, to unfold. And my concern when it comes to education is that if you've got 35 or 40 students in a class, it's much easier to jam in than draw out. And if we would really commit ourselves to educating our children... We would have no more than eight or ten students per qualified teacher, and then you could work with them in a group setting for the social skills, but also as individuals to honor their particular learning styles and their process. And Wouldn't it be nice if we could be interested not just in the right answer, but how they arrived at that answer? Right. One of the things you mentioned was the way we're tested also in a lot of most of our Testing just doesn't allow us to think through. It's mostly a, a multiple choice or, or fill-in-the-blank kind of testing. Yeah. Uh, like with, and you know, the focus with no child left behind is not on thinking; it is on testing. On testing, and yeah. Not knowing the right answer, not questioning even the question and how it's posed. So I think our, our, the way we've gotten to this factory system of education has really taken us away from really, truly educating people because, after all, you know, if we're really educated, we're going to be hard to control. Well, one could even argue, if they were not loving, kind, and compassionate, that there was a need to train people in an industrial age to think alike and act alike. But certainly in an information age, increasingly people are going to be paid already begun 
for how they think and feel as individuals, and their uniqueness is going to increasingly be of value. And so uh, I really support you in the idea that education has to catch up to that and begin to address the uniqueness of the individual. And, And it blows my mind that with all this fingerprint and now DNA evidence, of absolute, there I'm going to use the word absolute, of individuality, that, <laughs> that this universe will not replicate itself, and yet who do we know but the most exceptional individuals in our lives who are even interested in their uniqueness? Right. And something has to happen en masse for people to become interested in their uniqueness rather than conforming to some conventional lifestyle or way of being or fashion or whatever. Yeah, and that's a training, unfortunately. And then we can still cooperate and get along. Again, it's not the poles of anarchy or socialism. It's like, let's, let's, you know, we can all agree that red light means stop and still, you know, be free. Right. We We can be educated and be cooperative and work in communities rather than than be uh, competitive and antagonistic toward each other. Yeah, yeah. Balance, blend, appropriateness. There's a crazy concept, huh? Appropriateness in America. Appropriateness. (laughs) Hey, Marie, thanks for your call. Thank you, Michael. Bye. Have a wonderful day. Let's go to Van Nuys. John, you're on KPFK. It's Intervision with Michael Benner. Hi, John. Hi, Michael. Congrats on the uh, worldwide interest in your show. This uh, Internet radio and podcast is exciting as shortwave listening without the uh, interference problem. (laughs) That's funny. That's good, yeah. I'm sure enjoying it. Yeah, me too. How you been? Good, good. Nice to hear I, from you. I think the uh, I think there's one factor that uh, that's kind of lying silent in this uh, reptilian part of all of us that uh, we're not cognizant of, and where we're in this uh, high anxiety uh, society to to reside somewhere between the, the siege of Super Bowl thrill of of, of self-aggrandizement and narcissism and this element of fear of rejection. We get suckered right into this uh, siege or this bifurcation, this either-or of choices, by by fearing that if, if we don't go along with the mainstream, we're going to be left out. And that fear of rejection is one thing I've noticed that makes humans do the most irrational, yeah. uh, seemingly senseless things. Or, was, or how about fear of love? Uh, that, what am I going to do? How am I going to handle it when I got it? <laughs> I mean, isn't that what fear is, the absence or the apparent absence, real or imagined, of love? Yeah, yeah, and the, and the, the worry, the concern of, of, of scarcity, the, uh, the uh, imagining of, of a lack of, uh, or of a lack of abundance, imagining that. I yeah. think is, we're down to Maslow's hierarchy now. Yeah, I had a, a wonderful experience with uh, uh, the members of Pete Fountain's band after the show years ago in New Orleans when someone posed to the, one of the musicians and said, well, Rusty, what would you rather be, uh, a rich musician with a few friends or a poor musician with a lot of friends, and his wisdom wouldn't allow him to be sucked into that. He turned and said, i got to have more choices than that. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? That's beautiful, yeah. yeah. And that's a great attitude. Whenever you get that, you see, I'm sort of saving this for the end of the show, but we're pretty close, so I'll say it here and share it with you uh, and everyone else at this point. I think so much of what... We see either in 
political in politics as reform and improvement or religious people tend to call it redemption uplifting in alchemy it's transmutation um the Jewish community has a term uh, atonement which means at one harmonizing so much of it is in our attitude simply John going from the or to the and we get so caught up in uh, in just being being accepted and we don't realize that uh, the minute we start uh, limiting our choices is when we have fewer choices and there's no more diverse to pick from and it's it kind of uh, curbs itself in on us and before we know it we're just uh, locked into a few choices i would say very simply uh, be yourself and tell people where you're at. Relate to them uh, personally, not as what, not as a current popular media cliche or a movie cliche. If you tell people where you're at, you will not only uh, re- re- repulse and repel those who have absolutely nothing to do with you, but you'll automatically galvanize those people who are of like mind and are suitable acquaintances and, and suitable people to associate with. Yeah. And it's life's very automatic, but we try and manipulate it much too much for this fear of rejection. Well, we could say I'm neither a Republican nor a Democrat. I'm neither a capitalist or a socialist, communist. Uh, but it might be better if we said I'm all of that. Remember Gandhi said, I am a Hindu and a Buddhist and a Jew and a Christian. And I got to have more choices. Than I, I got to have more choices. <laughs> Isn't that great? <laughs> Thank you, John. Happy holidays. Okay, you too. KPFK on your radio. Imagine including into your personal mission statement or your goals list. You want to call it that? How about your personal mission statement or your goals list? A daily attempt in your personal life but also as a contribution to making the world a better place. Lifting your encounters and your worldview from a you-or-me world to a you-and-me world. And can you imagine a day when politicians begin to talk that way? I mean, I'm, get, I'm getting a little of that from the Democrats because they have at least been smart enough since the election a couple of weeks ago not to say, aha, now it's our turn, and we're going to do to you what you did to us. And instead, they're talking bipartisan, and what choice does Bush have? They say, all right, I'll be, you know, he'll talk the talk. I don't think he'll walk the talk. And so we're getting a little of that now, but I don't think it's going to last. I think partisanship, the idea of the fact that we only have two parties is indicative of the problem that we're talking about here, or the way men and women, again, in Taoism, Taoism is so rich in the yin and the yang and the polarities of things, but don't get trapped in thinking that the game is played in the end zones. The end zones are out of bounds, okay? The extremist has very little to offer. Love, truth, wisdom, harmony is in the middle. Again, not necessarily dead center, not not the 50. It might be 60-40 or 30-70 or 80-20. Or, you see what I'm talking about? That's the swing of the pendulum. So how about it? How about just the rest of today, going from an attitude of you or me to an attitude in traffic as you drive of you and me? We don't have to agree. We can agree to disagree. 
and make it a you and me world. Thanks for listening. Thanks for calling D'Angelo. Thanks, as always, for engineering Brooks, for producing the program, and to Doreen Key, my wife, for all of her help in this, Kurt Wyman, and, uh, gosh, Craig Duncan, and Ken Horton. Ken, get better well. Uh, get well better sooner, quicker, <laughs> and all of that. Roy Batchelor and uh, all the people that helped me with this uh, program. Appreciate it. Hope you're beginning to get in the holiday spirit. Join us next week. We'll be right here. Fridays at 1 for InterVision. As always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. That's all we got, you and me. This is Michael Bender. You've been listening to InterVision on radio powered by the people KPFK. 90.7 FM Los Angeles, 98.7 FM Santa Barbara, and universally at kpfk.org.